0: a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed welcome to another edition of bearing arms cam and company i'm cam edwards so glad you with you you with me it's been a long day got up at four o'clock this morning to fill in on wmal in washington dc so apologies for the uh, little bit of brain mush. That will not hopefully continue uh, into the rest of the program. The good news is that I actually did my interview with uh, today's guest on Sunday afternoon when I was uh, bright and refreshed. So I know that was a good conversation. Uh, Paul Valone is the head of Grassroots NC. And uh, Paul and I started talking last week after um, uh, the episode where we talked about uh, what's going on with the slow walking of concealed carry permits around the country. Um, in North Carolina, particularly in uh, Mecklenburg County, North Carolina, the slow walking has continued despite the fact that the Mecklenburg County Sheriff's Office had already been hauled into court once over delays in processing permits. Uh, there was a court order came out a few months ago, uh, and, and and the sheriff agreed to this that he would you know process permits in a timely basis. But there are still people who have applied in like February of this year. Who have yet to receive their concealed carry license. So, what's going on? Well, Sheriff Gary McFadden in Mecklenburg County says it's the fault of the VA that uh, they've been submitting records requests to the VA and, uh, you know, the VA hasn't gotten back to them. Uh, the VA released a statement acknowledging, yes, uh, there is a backlog of of medical records requests that we have not been able to wade through. Our first priority is patient care. And so, you know, medical records requests, they're, they're on sort of the back burner. We don't know how big the problem is. But according to Paul Valone, the problem does seem to be centered in Mecklenburg County. Uh, None of the other sheriffs in North Carolina are reporting these kinds of delays, probably because the other county sheriffs are not making as many requests to the VA. At least that is uh, Paul Valone's assertion. Uh, I want to kick off this conversation. I don't want to reiterate or regurgitate what uh, Paul and I talked about, but... uh, I had written a piece on uh, Friday um, because Valone uh, and Grassroots N.C. had uh, sent out a press release indicating that uh, a lawsuit may be forthcoming. Uh, so that was sort of the, the starting point for our conversation, which gets into the uh, long history of a Grassroots N.C. and Mecklenburg County and the right to carry, as well as where this legal fight might be going in the future. Take a look and a listen. Paul, thanks so much for coming on Cam and Company. It's so good talking with you today. Oh, thank you very much for having me, sir. Absolutely, uh, and and you know when I wrote about this story last week, um, I I was kind of curious, and maybe I gave Mr. McFadden a little too much benefit of the doubt here because I think it's important folks understand that this is this is not something new. This sounds this sounds like this is more like the latest chapter in a a continuing saga uh, that uh, grassroots North Carolina has been uh, dealing with when it comes to concealed carry, uh, both in Mecklenburg County and then a- across the state, right? That is a true statement. A shadowy super PAC in
1: 2018 elected several anti-ice left-leaning sheriffs in major urban areas across North Carolina, and we've been having problems ever since.
0: Okay. So um, did things start to get really bad around the the pandemic? I know that we saw this a lot. I mean, you know, Philadelphia got sued. They shut down their gun permitting unit. Yep. A lot of sheriffs said, well, you know, geez, we can't do walk-in appointments anymore. You're going to have to schedule your appointment. And uh, look at that. The next opening we have is uh, next September. How about that? Um, mm-hmm. Did you guys yep. have to deal with those type of things in North Carolina?
1: Absolutely. Matter of fact, uh, we sued the sheriff of Wake County, where uh, Raleigh is, the state capital. Uh, We had to sue him twice because uh, Gerald Baker is his name, and uh, fortunately he uh, lost his primary, so he won't be returning. Thank you. Um, But um, he decided to stop issuing pistol purchase permits and concealed handgun permits altogether. And it says that the sheriff shall issue the pistol purchase permit within 14 days, not 14 days unless there's a pandemic. And, you know, ditto for concealed handgun permits. They had to be issued in 45 days. So we sued him and eventually we obtained a consent order. Uh, He continued slow walking permits. So we had to file a second lawsuit. But now he's under a consent order and permits seem to be going on going out in Wake County more or less on schedule.
0: Okay, but that's not the case in Mecklenburg County, where, uh, as WSOC-TV reported, you still have folks – and there's a – we'll get into this, but there's there's a consent decree in Mecklenburg County as well. Yeah. But you still have individuals who applied mm-hmm. for their concealed carry permit back in February. Mm-hmm. Here we are October, and they haven't gotten their permits. So what's going on?
1: Well, we filed a suit against Gary McFadden, the sheriff of – Mecklenburg County, who, by the way, has his own reality show. It's I Am Homicide. You really can't make this stuff up. Seriously. Um, But so we sued him and eventually obtained a because what we were having a problem with at that point was that he was scheduling appointments for fingerprinting for concealed handgun permits. And the appointments were six months or more out. And then it'd be another six months or more before they would process the permit. So um, by the time we got a consent order against him on that case, uh, he is required to do the fingerprinting on a walk-in basis and have the application completed on the same day. Now, that's the good news, and by the way, he's also enjoined from delaying pistol purchase permits, which he was, uh, and he's also uh, enjoined to make sure that he applies for the mental health records for concealed handgun permits within 10 days as required by statute, okay? The problem we have <clears throat> is that um, this is kind of like New York state. It's a game of legislative whack-a-mole, or in this case, you know, litigation whack-a-mole because uh, you know, in New York, they, when the Bruin decision came down, they came, they came up with the concealed carry improvement act, what a name that was even worse than originally. And he's doing pretty much the same thing here at issue is GS fourteen four hundred a, I believe it is um, that says that the, Sheriff shall issue or deny a concealed handgun permit within 45 days and receipt of mental health records. You see, back in 2011, an NRA lobbyist tried to get it reduced to 45 days from our original 90-day issuance and uh, wound up making a rather bad deal with the North Carolina Sheriff's Association for this 45 days provided and receipt of mental health records, okay? So what McFadden is doing is uh, unlike the sheriffs in 99 other counties um McFadden is applying to uh sending me- mental health record requests to the veterans administration for all of his applicants not just applicants who indicate military service on their on their um, um uh form which by the way is under penalty of perjury okay uh so they would have to indicate that they were on in these other counties. They would have to indicate they were in the military before they would mm-hmm. send a records re- request to the VA. So, what he's doing basically is flooding the local VA with records requests from people who never served in the military. And the VA is now backed up hopelessly. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure not only that, I mean, they have, uh, frankly, they have a commitment to veterans, not to people who didn't serve, you
0: know? Right. So, so, so I, I, let me just interrupt for a second here, Paul. So, I want to make sure I understand here. You're not hearing about any similar problems regarding VA delays in Wake County or any of the other counties in North Carolina. It's only Mecklenburg County. That is a
1: correct statement. Only Mecklenburg County. None of the other 99 counties are experiencing delays with the VA on medical records. And once again, the reason is he's deliberately, in, in my opinion, you know, obviously this would be a very difficult thing to demonstrate, but in my opinion, he's deliberately uh, delaying the process in by making these, uh, making this flood of records requests.
0: You know, it's interesting because the uh, Mecklenburg County Sheriff's does have a, a pistol uh, permit dashboard uh, online, and and, mm-hmm. and there is a, a little notice where they say, you know, if you've applied uh, at any of these dates, we're still waiting on the medical records. Uh, from these particular hospitals. And there are a number of hospitals listed, but most of them actually seem to be like, you know, waiting on records that were submitted, requ- record mm-hmm. requests submitted in September, uh, maybe August. Mm-hmm. I think there's one local health center that maybe goes back to May. Mm-hmm. Um, But it's the VA where it's basically from, you know, January 31st until now. Yep. Uh, it, it, you know, we're, we're waiting on those record requests. So yep. you're telling me that in essence, that applies to everybody who's applied for a permit in Mecklenburg County because... Everybody by default, at least that's your suspicion. I'm, that by I'm default these records, are these records requests to be made to the VA? That is a correct statement. I have, uh, I am routinely
1: on a daily basis taking complaints from people, collecting complaints and collecting plaintiffs, by the way. Um, from people who I uh, say that they're delayed, the sheriff told them they were delayed due to the VA, and they're going, I was never in the military. Why is the VA playing a role in this? So, wow. Um, The other thing that, by the way, that uh, McFadden is doing is if you look at the statute, it says 45 days and receipt of mental health records, not 45 days after receipt of mental health records, which is how McFadden is interpreting this thing.
0: So in other words, the sheriff's office should be going ahead and processing the permit application. And then if all they're waiting on is the mental health records, as soon as those come in, boom, Mm -hmm. rubber stamp, you're approved. here's Here's the permit. Correct. That's exactly right. But they're not doing it, it. It sounds like they're not doing anything until they get the receipt of those medical records. All right. So, Paul, you mentioned you're collecting plaintiffs here. Um, mm-hmm. Have you talked with uh, attorneys about filing suits? Oh, yeah. oh absolutely. The
1: absolutely. Uh, matter of fact, we'll be using the same attorneys that we used for the last suit, which, by the way, um, it's Rob Olson and and company GOA's lawyers that are uh, busy right now up in the state of New York and uh, on the in joining uh, New York from. Um, instituting their unconstitutional new law. So yeah, we've got good attorneys and we've got local attorneys as well. So um, we're pretty well fixed on that one. Now we just got to get everything, all the ducks in the order and, uh, the last time, the only problem we had was it took a, it took us months to get a hearing. We did eventually get a preliminary injunction once we got the hearing because yeah. the judge determined that the case would likely win on its merits. But it took us a number of months to get that hearing.
0: That's you know, and, and, and I, I talked about this. Uh, I, I actually did an episode about Cam Company, uh talking about uh, the slow walking of, of permits uh, not long ago. Um, and I said this is one of the issues here is that, you know, plaintiffs. A court case can take years to be fully mm-hmm. resolved, as you say, even months for a an injunction to be granted. Um, and oftentimes, the issuing authorities will try to moot these cases by all of a sudden proving the purpose nice. of the plaintiffs in question, right? Yep. And all of a sudden, well, you don't mm-hmm. have standing to sue now. So they mm-hmm. play all these types of games here. Mm-hmm. But it's important to know that that's exactly what they're doing. They're they're playing games with our rights, uh, which is yep. uh, you know uh, so unconscionable. And there are you know, thousands of people right now who would like to be able to carry for, for self-defense at a time in which crime is getting worse where they live, and their sheriff is putting up roadblocks, mm-hmm. barriers, simply because he can, not because they're ineligible, not because they, you know, they're yep. they're 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 forbidden or they're prohibited persons, but because he thinks he has the power and the authority to do this.
1: And how many lives is he costing by doing that, by people who are victimized in crimes that might otherwise have been able to protect themselves? All right. This is a public policy or the the failure of a public policy that's costing lives. Let there be no doubt yeah. about it.
0: Well, I'm glad to know that uh, Grassroots NC is uh, on this. And I, I hope when the uh, court papers get filed, Paul, you will reach out to us. I'd love to have you oh, back on the show again. Absolutely. And uh, we're also looking at litigating
1: on that pistol purchase permit system. That's actually a Mm -hmm. leftover Jim Crow law from 1919. Um, We actually got it repealed in the last session of the General Assembly. But unfortunately, our Democrat governor uh, vetoed the, uh, the repeal. And um, we don't have enough votes. We don't have a supermajority in the General Assembly to override it. So in this election, we're looking for a supermajority. And we want to get that pistol purchase permit system either repealed or struck down as unconstitutional.
0: All right. A lot at stake. Mm -hmm. Uh, Paul, thanks again for joining me on the program. And I look forward to doing this again very soon. Thank you, sir. Appreciate you having me. I do appreciate Paul joining us, and uh, we will be following this uh, story very closely. Uh, when that lawsuit is filed, we will let you know about it. When uh, we hear Sheriff McFadden's response, we will also let you know about it. And I have put a request uh, for additional information from the VA itself. So if we hear anything back, uh, I'll be sure to report that to you as well. Right now, let's turn our attention to today's Armed citizen story, our good deed of the day, and our recidivist report will start there with a story out of Laredo, Texas where it turns out a, a suspect in a triple shooting out on federal probation, uh, yeah, also previously convicted of uh, state-level charges, but, uh, yeah, apparently the uh, federal offense, not a big deal. Uh, Cesar Javier Estrada, age 32, uh, has now been arrested on the federal charge of possession of a firearm by a person who's been convicted of a crime punishable by imprisonment for a term exceeding one year, in other words, a felon in possession. Uh, he is accused... Of uh, a shooting that left three people wounded during a drug deal gone bad uh, behind the Alamo Draft House in Laredo, Texas. This happened back on October the sixth. Officers that responded for a shots fired report. They found multiple uh, spent casings from a nine millimeter and a forty caliber handgun. Uh, further investigation, according to the Houston Chronicle, revealed that this was a drug deal gone bad. So Estrada uh, apparently. Um, showed up at a local hospital, uh, exited a car where the guns that were later traced back to the crime were found. And the uh, Houston Chronicle reports that a record check on Estrada's criminal history revealed that he is previously a convicted felon. Uh, the Laredo Police Department contacted the ATF. Uh, and uh, further investigation revealed that Estrada was currently on federal probation for a felony conviction of bringing in and harboring migrants. Yep. As well as a state felony conviction for aggravated robbery, so in other words, this guy's trafficking illegal immigrants, and he we don't know if he served uh, if he was only sentenced to probation or if he served a modest prison sentence before he was uh, released on probation um the federal charge that he's facing would indicate that he faced some federal prison time before being released on probation, however. He also has that state felony conviction for aggravated robbery, which would make him a prohibited person regardless. So uh, I think it's fair to say it is unknown whether or not Estrada did any time behind bars for human trafficking. Apparently, he did some time behind bars for aggravated robbery. Uh, And uh, now the question is, what will the Biden administration do with Mr. Estrada and his uh, latest charges, which right now? Again, are only a uh, federal felon in possession charge. He has not officially been charged by the Laredo Police in connection with the shooting, uh, merely being uh, with a gun that was uh, later traced back to the shooting, a gun that he was not allowed to be uh, anywhere near. So we'll keep our eyes on this story as well. Uh, today's Armed Citizens story from uh, Wichita, Kansas. Now, I, I, I confess, I thought for a second I had just run across an older story because it was just a few weeks ago that we reported on a bystander uh, holding a knife wielding suspect at gunpoint for police. (laughs) And that's basically the headline from the Wichita Eagle after a road rage driver wields knife and fight bystander pulls gun to stop him, according to police. It, It is another armed citizen story involving a knife wielding suspect, but it is not the same armed citizen story involving a knife wielding suspect that we had reported on Several weeks ago, this took uh, a place Friday night in Wichita. Uh, 19-year-old Trevor Wind treated at a uh, hospital after he was arrested on suspicion of aggravated assault and criminal damage to property. Apparently, there was this uh, road rage incident. Uh, police say they're not sure exactly what sparked the road rage. But uh, at a traffic light, Wind uh, apparently reversed his car into a vehicle behind him. The driver of that car then got out. Wind got out of his vehicle as well. They got into a fight before Wind brandished a knife. Uh, Someone who was nearby saw what was going on, saw Wind, had a knife, uh, stopped, pulled out his own firearm, uh, and stopped Wind from escalating this fight any further, held Wind to gunpoint until police arrived. Uh, He was checked at the hospital for injuries that he got during the fight. Uh, There were rumors that multiple people had been stabbed uh, in this incident that thankfully was not the case. Nobody was actually uh, hurt, very likely because that armed citizen was there, saw what was going on, and stopped this attack from escalating any further. Um, Again, glad that armed citizen was there. Hopefully, word is getting around in uh, Wichita, Kansas, that, uh, you know, there are lots of armed citizens who are prepared to stop these types of attacks when they see uh, uh, innocent victims being threatened. And uh, maybe this will be the last armed citizen story from uh, probably not. But uh, we'll report the next one for you as well. Finally, uh, today's good deed of the day in the right place at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing. A a good Samaritan in South Florida who uh, was able to reunite with the father and son that he rescued from a, a rollover crash back on the 4th of July weekend a crash that left the uh, father in that case with very serious injuries in fact uh, he was in a coma for 2 weeks uh before uh, uh he emerged from that coma thankfully uh, appears to have uh largely recovered at, at least uh from the head injuries that he received the uh, physical uh, rehabilitation, I'm sure, is going to take some additional time. But uh, again, this father, uh, lucky to be alive and uh, was able to reunite. His name is Eddie Rivera, uh, and he was able to reunite with the Good Samaritan who saved him, a guy named Wazgare Um This was, uh, as I mentioned, on Fourth of July weekend. And here's the moment, by the way, where uh, Rivera and Dormerville and Rivera's young son, who was also a passenger in that car, uh, we're able to uh, reunite just a few days ago. Uh, Rivera says he was not wearing a seatbelt when uh, his Jeep flipped. And the second go round, uh, Eddie Rivera said, I quote, I ended up flying out of the top of the Jeep and I smashed my head on the concrete twice and I slid with my whole body. Uh, Eddie Rivera says doctors gave him just a 20% chance of life. He said they had to, quote, kind of reconstruct my head to make sure I wasn't going to die on the operating table. His son, Leo, suffered a broken leg uh, and is thankfully recovering as well. Uh, meanwhile, was Gary Dormaville says it's a Fourth of July that he'll never forget. He says, I was just driving up the road, going towards the beach, seeing that Jeep flipped over, seeing multiple people on the ground. He said, God put me in the right place uh, and at the right time. Not only, by the way, did Dormaville help Rivera uh, and the younger Rivera out uh, at the scene of the accident, Uh, He says he wants to do more. He actually collected money at a local festival that will go to help pay their medical bills, which is pretty exceptional. So, in the right place at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing, Uh, Wizgair Dormaville, Dormaville, excuse me, in uh, South Florida, we thank you for your life-saving good deed. Now, that is all the time we've got for you on this edition of Bearing Arms Cam and Company. I do want to thank you for being a part of the program, and we'll be back tomorrow, hopefully after a good night's sleep for me uh, and no more mush mouth. And uh, we'll be talking more about the latest segment of news and information from all across the nation. I would also encourage you to head over to BearingArms.com throughout the day where we are doing the same. We are constantly updating the website with the latest news you need to know about impacting your right to keep and bear arms. If you like what you see, I'd also encourage you to become a VIP member. All you have to do, go to BearingArms.com slash subscribe, use the promo code GUNRIGHTS, and you can get a significant savings on your VIP membership. As our way of saying thanks for showing your support. We're going to give you exclusive content, news stories, analysis. You won't find anywhere else because your support does matter, and it really does make a difference. So thank you again. Have a great rest of your Monday, at least as good as a Monday can be. And we'll see you back here tomorrow. Until then, be well, be safe, and be free.